Today's sermon is going to be called The War of Obedience. The last three weeks, I've talked a lot about obedience, and I wanted to follow that up with just the reality of what obedience is like. Uh, And so Romans chapter 7, verses 13 to chapter 8, verses 2 is where we're going to be uh, staying today. Uh, so you, I'll give you a second just to get that ready. And why I'm kind of pushing a little bit more is because I'll read, I'll read the verses for us. But really, I just I want to take a, a survey of this um, passage and this portion of scripture, and really just go verse by verse and talk about it because it is such an important concept and such an important uh, thought that Paul gives here. Uh, and is, I think, especially important for us as we've spent the last few weeks talking about obedience and the importance of it. Uh, and so if, if you have been listening the last few weeks and thought it is hard to obey, right? And you've, you've walked away with good intentions and you've been inspired to obey and, and you've been educated and reminded on the importance of obedience Uh, but then got hit with the reality of obedience and what that means for your life, then uh, that's why I'm preaching on this because there is a big reality when it comes to walking out obedience as a Christian that it is hard. Uh, The reality of living out the obedience that we've talked about as a Christian is incredibly difficult. It is not, it's one of those things that's easier said than done. Like, yes, I can say I want to obey, but to walk out that obedience is a very hard road. Uh, And so there are some very tough realities that when it comes to walking out obedience that we need to be aware of and understand that uh, if we don't understand those things, what I've seen happen a lot of time is people just kind of burn out. Uh, And and I've seen this so often, uh, especially I think one of the uh, critiques I have for myself doing youth ministry is the, uh, I, I wish I talked through this more and helped a lot of the youth understand this more instead of like, be perfect now, today and forever. Uh, and when you're not, you know, it's just complete condemnation, depression mode. Uh, and maybe you'll get out of that, you know, sometime in the future. And so this is why I think this this chapter is a really important chapter to talk about, and this passage is really important. So um, just to give a little context, I'm going to read this portion of Scripture. Paul is talking here in the book of Romans. If you've never read Romans, I really encourage you to do it. It's a very foundational book uh, for our faith. Um, But Paul is talking about the Mosaic Law here in Romans chapter 7, specifically the Torah. We've talked about this a lot over the past a few weeks. Um, and so as we go into this, when he says, you know, in verse 13, he says, did that which is good then bring death to me? That in this context is the Mosaic law, is the law. And he's going to be talking about the law again. So I'm going to read this passage. Then after that, we're just going to walk through it verse by verse and talk about the reality of walking in obedience as a Christian. And so uh, starting in verse 13, I'm going to read down to chapter 8, verse 2. Read along with me uh, if you can. Did that or the law which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good. In order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. 
For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law or principle that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Pray with me. Father, I pray that as we jump into this text, as we read your word, I ask that your Holy Spirit just come and breathe life into us, breathe revelation, Lord, that you would open up our eyes to see what you want us to see, that it would transform our heart and our mind, and that we would dive deeper into our love for you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so whenever I read that passage, uh, it is a tongue twister, and so I'm glad that I got through that without... uh, screwing up too much, but it is, it can be very confusing, this passage, and so that's why I want to kind of break it down and go through it verse by verse together, uh, because it is just such an important concept to understand as a Christian, uh, and not just as, as I say as a Christian, but I, I want to clarify that more, as a Christian who is striving to obey God, uh, you know, because unfortunately we have a lot of Christians that are more cultural Christians today, Western Christians, uh, and there is not a daily striving to obey God. If you've ever sh- walked a life that is striving to obey God, then you have come across insane roadblocks that have made it very difficult and have maybe even caused you to give up at times. And this is what we're going to be talking about, the essence of what Paul is talking about here. So starting in verse 13, I'll read that again. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. So Paul is arguing something very specific here. He is saying that the law is good, right? The Mosaic law that was given, the Torah that was given was good, but sin, it twisted it in us to expose us to more sin, to rebellion, and to death, and use the law in order to cause death in us and uh, in order to cause us to sin. So here is something that God gave us that was good, that sin then worked in order to use it uh, in a way to produce rebellion in us against God, which essentially meant it caused us to sin against God more, which caused us to walk into death. So then he says next in verse 14 to 16, he says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am flesh, I am of the flesh, sold under sin. 
For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. Right? So Paul is affirming something as a Christian here. We want to follow God. That should be, you know, I would say most people here, that is your purest desire that in a perfect world, if you could think something and do something and, and make it a reality in your life, it would be, I want to follow God. I don't want to do the things, the, the addictions that you, you find yourself going to, the, the bad habits, the bad patterns in your life that you're trying to break. These are the things that have had control. You want to follow God. You want to follow his commands. But instead of doing that, you find yourself doing the very things that you hate, the very things that you have promised maybe over and over again. I'm never going to do this again, or this is the last time I do this, or you know, I'm not going to let my anger get a hold of me again like this, or I'm not going to go and call this person, or I'm not going to do this thing again, right? And we we tell ourselves this. We, we want to follow God. We want to follow his commands. But instead of doing that, what happens? We do the very things that we hate. We, and, and it's hard. We, I would say at the end of those actions, we have this thought that Paul says that for, I do not understand my own actions. Like why, why do I keep on going back to these things? Why do I keep on doing this? Why do I keep on acting this way? Why do I keep on reacting this way? There's this sense of why do I keep going back? Because I do the very thing that I hate, the thing that I said I was never going to do, the thing that I promised. Maybe it was an altar call. Maybe it was a retreat. Maybe it was a moment alone with God. Maybe it was a service. You, know, you sat in a conversation you had with somebody and you thought, I'm, I'm not going back to that. I'm not doing that anymore. But yet you have found yourself doing this thing that you have promised. Maybe promised to yourself, maybe promised to a family member, maybe promised to God that you will never do again. But yet you keep on indeed doing the very thing that you hate. Right, and, I, and I think this is a an important thing to talk about for a second and just pause here because um, what I've seen myself do and I've seen many Christians do is fall into the reality of self-hatred because of this, where we make these grand promises about how we're feeling and and where we're living. I remember um, I used to actually have on my iCal, this was uh, probably, I want to say 12 years ago, I used to keep track of all the sins that I did every day that I didn't want to do that. I told myself I was never going to do again. I did this, uh, for almost two years. And really all this did for me was every time I looked at it, it was a reminder of my shame and a reminder of the things I hated about myself most. Uh, and, and if you have found yourself in a place where you have confessed your sin and you've repented from your sin and yet you found yourself back at the doorstep of sinfulness, then you most likely have fallen into this kind of cycle of self-hatred, of, of, of feeling like, man, I'm never going to be able to control my sin and I, I have this godly hatred of sin and yet I keep doing this sin and falling into this sin and now uh, because of that I have this ungodly hatred of myself. And 
so often we, we come to this place where we hate what we do so, so much and we hate that we keep on doing and we hate that we keep acting this way and we hate that we keep on being disobedient that we begin to hate ourself. Uh, and, you know, if we're honest with ourselves, we have uh, a kind of complex around a lot of things. This is why we don't confess our sins because why would we want to share the very thing that we hate most about ourselves to somebody else. We want to keep those things private, right? It is it is shameful for us to share with somebody that here I, I have done this. Maybe it's I've done this again. And to come before you and share the the very thing I hate most about myself and now leave it in your hands to possibly hate me as well for the thing that I hate myself for. Well, I don't want to put that into somebody else's hands. Why would I ever want to do this? And the desires of sins, the action of sin in our life leads to not only just hating sin many times, but hating ourselves because we don't understand why we keep doing the things that we do. We don't understand why we keep finding ourselves in the same situations that we find ourselves in. We don't understand that even though I, I've, I've swore that I never was going to do this again, yet here I am, maybe after the fact, sitting down, mad, angry, sad, depressed, lonely, isolated because I've yet done this again. I'm, I'm in this place again. I can't tell you how many times I've sat in silence and, and been in a place of like, God, again, here we are. Why, why is this happening? So verse 17, Paul says this. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. See this, what, what I'm explaining and maybe what you felt before, this is evidence of sin at work within you. What Paul's saying is that there was never a problem with God's law that people could not do it. It was sin that was let loose on earth that used the law to cause deeper rebellion against God. And so sin is at work in me. Sin is at work in you. Sin is at work in everybody around us. And sin in its work in our heart, like, it, you know, like we go to work every day, sin is going to work in your heart every single day. It is, it is waking up in the morning with you and it is thinking, all right, how am I going to, what am I going to do for work today? How am I going to get this heart to be more deceitful? How am I going to get this heart to disobey? How am I going to get this mind to wander? How am I going to uh, see an open door for this temptation to, to seep in? Sin is at work in you. Sin is at work in me. Every single day it is waking up and wondering, how is it going to work harder to get us why? Because the more we allow sin's work to dwell in us, the deeper into slavery, the deeper into sin's control that we fall. So the evidence of sin, there, there's this is the evidence of sin at work in you, this feeling of hatred, this thing of, I don't understand why I keep on doing the thing that I do. I don't understand why I am falling into this pattern, why I keep finding myself back at this place. Paul saying that is the evidence of sin at work in you. So if you were wondering, is the sin still play a role in my life? Is sin still doing something? The answer is yes. If you've felt like that, sin is at work in your heart. There's never a problem with God's law. Sometimes we think that God's law was the burdensome thing. No, it was, it was how sin used it, Paul's argument is, 
to evoke more sin, to evoke rebellion in our heart and lead us deeper into death. And so in verse 18, he keeps on going. He says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. You've probably come to the same conclusion as Paul has that nothing good dwells in me. And maybe you haven't. And this is a good, good revelation for you that nothing good dwells in us. Right? We may have all the intentions. I have all the desire. I have all the intention of doing right, but I can't. Every time I want to go deeper into it, every time I want to do it, I can't. I can't. What is going on? And Paul's saying nothing good dwells in us, that our, our, our flesh is corrupt. Sin has taken control. It has wrapped itself around us. It has put us under its thumb and its control, and it is at work in our mortal bodies every single day. Every single day. How often this has brought us to tears. Right? That I know nothing good dwells in me. And the reality of that honestly is it is it is depressing. It is anxiety inducing. Because it's the understanding and the thought that God like how how do I fight? How do I how do I stop this? How do I obey you when it feels like everything inside of me, and, and the reality is everything inside of me is working against what you have called me to do. That sin has controlled me, has put me under slavery, has, has caught me up, and here I am again. I keep doing what I don't want to do, that I, I desire to do well, but I can't do it. And I am realizing, God, that nothing good is in me. What, what is going on? Why? Why is this like this? Why is this happening? Because there is nothing good inside of me. Paul says, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. So, with, so what do I find myself doing? You know, I've and saved, I've repented, I've confessed, and then I have the intention of turning a good road. Yet I, I want to do this, but I find myself not doing the things that I want to do. I find myself doing the things that I hate. I find myself completely encompassed by sin. That sin, that that in my flesh, sin has full power, has full control. So. What do I find myself doing? I find myself doing the evil, the sinful things. I, I do the very things that I do not want. I don't do the good things. I do the evil things that I don't want to do and I keep on doing and I keep on finding myself back there and I keep on finding myself in this place. Like, 
How many times have we had relationships where we have had conversations with good friends, with family members, with, with our spouse? It's like, why do I keep finding you at this place? And sometimes we like, what Paul says here is, I don't know. I, I, I find myself here too. I don't, I don't understand why I keep on doing this. And sometimes when people talk to us and they ask us like, why did you do that? You know, this is the, this is the 10th time we were having this conversation. Why did you do that? And sometimes our answer is like what Paul says, I, I don't know. I, I know what's good. I desire to do what's good, but yet I keep on doing the very thing that I hate. I keep on doing the very thing that I do not want to do, that I've promised I wouldn't do, that I said I wasn't going to do. I keep on doing this. The evil things, the sinful things. This has encompassed my life. This is the reality of myself now. So in verse 20, Paul says, Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. If you want to do good, I'm going to assume that's the posture of almost everybody here. If you want to follow God, if you want to be obedient to God, but you cannot do it, there is a recognition that needs to happen. You must recognize this as sin that is dwelling in you, that this is sin that is dwelling in you. This is important for two primary reasons. The first thing is some of you have taken on the identity of sin in your life. You have taken on the identity of the sin in your life, and you think that this is who you are. I, I am just an angry person. I, I, am just, I, I am just a deceitful person. I am, I am just a lustful person. I am just an uncontemporary. I am just a depressed person. I am just an anxious person. What we have done is we have taken on what sin has caused us to do, what sin has has just encompassed our everyday life, and we have taken it on as an identity. It is no longer in our minds sin that is working in us. It is just me. This is who I am. And we have taken on the sin, the, the habits and the things that sin has caused us to do, and we have taken it as our identity, now this is me. And so sin has tricked us into thinking, this isn't sin that's working in me. This is just me being me and who I am. See, that is just, it's not true. Sin has you fooled. Sin has you defeated. And sin has you giving up so that you do not long, do not fight it anymore. That you no longer come against it. Right, that, that, man, I can't tell you how many times this thought has come in my head. Well, this is just who I am. And, I, and, and so often I, I, I've found this, this, this gray area between what my personality is and, and this is how I act and what God needs to change in my character. And this is how I should be acting. And so, so often is we've, we've taken on, say, the anger and, and biting back and talking back. And, and when somebody says something that we don't like, we snap at them and we talk back. And then it's like, well, I say, why are you talking to me like that? You shouldn't do that. Well, that's just how I am. That's just how I talk to people. That's how I was raised. 
right? And we've taken on the identity of sinful attitudes and sinful nature. And we have said, now this is my personality and this is who I am. So this is now taken out of the realm of something that God can change. And it is how God made me. And see, you see the difference there is that as when we start saying this is how God made me, then we strip the power of God and the faith of, in God that he will change and transform my heart. And we are now saying that the power of sin is the thing that has shaped and formed me and created me. And we are saying that God has created the identity of sinfulness around me. And so we have to understand here that if you find yourself in the same air, if you find yourself responding the same way, ask yourself, is this how a child of God is created? Is is this who I am? Or is this sin at work in me? Because when you start taking on the identity of sin in yourself, then sin has already won. Sin has already won and you have lost because you will no longer fight it. The second reason why this is important is because even though you have accepted the gospel, the reality of sin is in us and working through us still while we're present on earth. Right? That that if we read that, now I do... What I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. The reality of the Christian walk is that sin is still at work and still present in you, right? We, we have talked about this several times that there is, no, there, is, there is no such thing as a perfect Christian on earth. There is no such thing in our, we're not in our resurrected bodies of a perfect Christian that we, we will get tempted, we will fail in trials, we will We will not be perfect while here on earth. There are a lot of things that God will work out and he will sanctify in us and we will continue to be better at obedience. But there is no idea, there is no such thing as perfection. We just covered this in Philippians chapter three that Paul says he has not attained this, but this is what he is striving for, what he is chasing after, what he is running towards. Right? So, we, we got to get it out of our heads that we are not going to struggle, that we are going to be perfect. And we have to accept the reality of sin without giving into the promises of sin, right? Sin and temptation, they're always going to be there. And that is the reality of our life. But that does not mean that I do not war and fight against them. Listen to what Paul says in verse 21. It says, so I find it to be a law or here better word for that is a principle that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Right? So this is a principle that Paul says that we can probably all attest to today. That, that you know, I, I, I would say like this is the equivalent of the spiritual highs, you know, that I've seen very often is like, okay, I, I made this promise now, I always uh, say for um, single people that just get saved in like their teen or young adulthood, the number one thing that I always see happen when they accept Christ is all of a sudden somebody wants to date them, right? It's like, it's like the next day, 
you know, I'm finally going to, I'm going to follow God. I'm going to be obedient. And then you get that text, you get that call. It's like, Hey, you want to be in a relationship? And I have, I promise you not, I've seen that derail more people than anything else. Why? Because when you want to do good, it's like, I want to follow God. What happens? Evil lies close at hand, right? That uh, I, the, one of the, the craziest things, um, is, you know, when I talk to pastors, I used to think this was just me for a while, but as I've, as I've talked to a lot of pastors, I've realized that, uh, this is the truth for pastors that Monday is the most sinful time of the week for pastors. And it is the, the craziest reality um, because Sunday, right, you're, is the time where for a lot of pastors, they just feel, you know, all of the things are working, preaching the word, prepping, delivering, the spirit working through you, you know, in with the body, all of these things, the beauty of the assembly being together, worshiping Jesus. And then all of that just kind of leads to this Monday crash. And it's this very same principle that when you want to do good, what happens? Evil lies close at hand. Have you ever, you've, you've maybe experienced this that you say like, all right, I, I think the best way to say this is when you want to fast. You know, we just, we, we taught, we, uh, I just announced that we're doing a church-wide fast in a few weeks in August 11th. So if you haven't been on the app, shameless plug, go on the app, look at it. We're doing a fast together on August 11th. But have you ever noticed, if you've ever fasted before, that the day that you fast, it's the day that the company decides to buy lunch for everybody. Or that somebody is like, yo, what kind of snack do you want? I'm going to the store. I'll pick it up for you. Or, you know, in my case, it's like the the time, like my parents are like, oh, you know, we're, we're having dinner for everybody. Why don't you come over? We're, we're buying, you know, or, or, all of a sudden, all the food that you want comes out of the woodworks and everybody's offering you food and giving you food and has snacks for you and everything that you wanted. It's like when you want to, I mean, I want to fast today. I want to, I want to get closer to God. What happens? Evil, right? Pizza, bagels, candy. It's all close at hand. <laughs> exactly. It's like everybody wants to eat and hang out with you the day that you're fasting. This this is the principle. When you want to get right, that should be when you are most alert at how the enemy wants to bring you down. When you make that promise to God, when you pray, when you get with God, maybe it's been a long time, or maybe you're doing really good. It's been a while. And you, you're, some of your guards start to slip down. What happens? Evil lies close at hand. Oh, we've probably all have seen this happen. That whenever we are ready to do what God wants, whenever we are ready to, to jump in, evil is lying there waiting. It says the enemy is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. In verse 22 and 23, Paul says this important thing. He says, For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. 
Many of us treat sin like a relationship and not a war. And that's where the problem is. See, a relationship with sin is essentially being in an abusive relationship. An abusive relationship is when we stay with someone that is not good for us and causes, uh, and not good for us and, and will cause a lot of entanglements, right? Uh, and will entangle us in all these different things in our life. And it's, it's hard to let go of this relationship. It's hard to let go of this person, but ultimately it is killing us. This person is killing us, right? I, I've seen abusive relationships when it comes to a, a relationship, a, a love relationship. I've seen it in power dynamics. I've seen it in family relationships where it's like, man, we there, there needs to be boundaries. I need to walk away from this relationship, but it's really hard. It's really hard. And so instead of walking away or even saying no to somebody in a bad relationship, instead we just keep saying yes, even though saying yes will destroy us. Even though saying yes will destroy us. And this is how you know that it's an abusive relationship, is the moment that you say no to that person or that thing, because I think we can be in abusive relationships with things as well as people. The moment that you say no to it, you realize the truth of that relationship. It wasn't loving if it won't let you go. It was deadly. Why? Because when you start to walk away, when you start to say you won't have control over me, that's when you see the teeth come out and saying, no, 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 no. It was fine when we pretended like it wasn't like this, but the truth of that comes out. You're not allowed to leave. You have to stay. And so what happens when we say no is that is when the war truly begins. And we have to realize that we are not, we, we are in a war. We are not in a relationship and we've treated it like a relationship. And that's why it's felt fine. That's why it felt passive. Maybe that's why it hasn't been hard in our life and we haven't really felt the tension and the struggle. It's because we have to realize that we are at war. The moment that you say no, you realize the truth of the relationship that you are in, that you are at war. Like I said, sin is at work in you. Every day it is plotting. It is seeing how can it entangle you? How can it grasp you? How can it take your heart? And while you may look at that and think, oh, not a big deal. I'm going to go on my way. You are not realize you're not realizing that you are being infiltrated every single morning and you are losing that war. We have to start treating sin like a war. Sin is fighting you every day whether you like it or not. And if you are not treating it like a war then let me tell you something you are losing that fight every single day. What we have to do, the first step we have to realize is the recognition that there is a war for your obedience. There is a war for your soul. There is a war for who you will serve. And every morning when you wake up, that war is fought. And every morning when you wake up, you will be able to decide, will I fight today or will I give in? Every day you will be able to have that question in front of you, will I war? 
or will I just allow this thing to control me? See, David says something, but I want to read verse 24 first. Paul says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? See, if you wonder like, Man, I, I've been in this war and I've been losing this war and sin is at work in me every single day and I keep on doing the very things that I hate and I can't stand myself anymore and I can't stand the things that I do and I'm not, I don't know why I keep on doing them. Then you will have probably screamed out the same thing that Paul has screamed out, that I have screamed out on many occasions, wretched. Man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Have you ever just sat down and been mad and screamed to God in prayer and say, God, who will deliver me? How many times will I have to do this? How many times will I have to fall? How many times will I be blinded? How many times will I lose? Who will deliver me from this body of death? Who will deliver me? Who will deliver you? That is the cry of every person on earth as we cry out, who will deliver me? Many people have thought fame will deliver me. We have seen famous people end their life because fame wasn't the answer. Many people thought money will deliver me. We have seen that money doesn't take away sin. All it does is enhances our sin. I've seen people say, well, this relationship will deliver me. Instead, it amplifies destructiveness where now my sin doesn't only encompass me, but it encompasses me and this other person. Well, this new job will deliver me. This new workout routine will deliver me. This, this snack will deliver me. And these are the things that we, when we scream this out and then we look around the world and we say, who will do it? And maybe you finally come to a place where you realize like the disciples did when he asked Jesus asked them, will you leave me too? And they said, where else will we go? You have the words of life. Come to the moment. How many things will you try will, until you realize that nothing can deliver you? How many times have you shouted, who will save me? David in Psalm 22 says this, My enemies surround me like a herd of bulls. Fierce bulls of Bashan have hemmed me in. Like lions, they open their jaws against me. Roaring and tearing into their prey, my life is poured out like water. And all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax melting within me. My strength has dried up like sun-baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You have laid me in the dust and left me for dead. War is not a joke. When you see your enemies surround you, 
When you see sin surround you, encompass, entangle, and control you, you will come to a point, if you haven't yet, where you will lay on your floor and you will cry out to God and you will say exactly what Paul said, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? There will be a moment of time where you realize that you are full of sin, that your flesh has no good desire, that sin has been working at you long before you thought it was and more than you ever thought it was. And you will hang your head and you will say, is there any hope for me? Is there any hope for who I am? for what will come. Paul says here in verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thanks be to God. When he shouts out this question, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? The very next thing that he shouts, the reminder of the gospel that we all need is, thank you, Lord, for sending Jesus Christ our deliverer, who is the only one who will take us out of the land of Egypt, the land of slavery, and will bring us into the promised land, the land of inheritance, the imperishable inheritance, where we will be delivered from sin and death, and we will walk in righteousness, holiness, under the cloak and garment of Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, for sending Jesus. Thank you, God, for Jesus, because he is the only hope. He is the only deliverer. He is the only one who has broken the power of sin and death so that when we look that we are surrounded by enemies, when we look around us and when we scream out and of the realization of how sinful we are and how deep the roots of sin go in our heart, we can look up to Jesus and say, thank you, God, for sending your son because without him, nothing would deliver me from the sin that has caused me so much depression, loss, anxiety, and has led me to death. Thank you, God. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. And in verse, in chapter eight, verse one, he says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Those words should radically change your life. It should alter the course of how you think about life. I remember when I was in Bible school and we were praying one morning, there was this dude, uh, Kevin Manley. And it's it's amazing last name. The dude, he played college football, so he was every bit what you thought his last name stated. I remember one time he tackled me when we were playing football, and I thought I died. Kevin Manley was praying one morning. We were all praying for an hour and a half, and at the end, he just started shouting. And he started screaming and praising, and we're all like, yo, what? It was like 8.30 in the morning. We weren't trying to have that kind of praise break. We weren't trying to like start getting up and shouting and screaming. This was, you know, quiet time of prayer, but this dude was screaming, amen, hallelujah, and he literally was going wild. And I remember when he was done, we all just kind of like, tell us what happened. And he said, I finally get it. There is therefore now no condemnation 
That shout and praise was a man who was delivered from years of condemnation of sin over his life when he realized that when God looked at him, he didn't look at the sin in his life. He looked at the righteousness of Jesus and he was being set free from the yoke and the weight that sin had bonded, captured him over the years. And he realized that what that verse meant, that yes, 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 yes. Sin has encompassed me. I live in this fallen world, but thank you, Jesus, that you have delivered me. And because of you, there is therefore now no condemnation. I do not have to walk around with my head down. I don't have to walk around ashamed. I don't have to walk around and hide who I am. God knows who I am. He created me. He knows the very inner parts and workings of my heart. He knows everything I've done, yet still he has reached out and he has accepted me and pulled me in to the kingdom to be his son, to be his daughter, to have the inheritance that he has given to his only son, Jesus Christ. He knows who I am. He knows the sin I have created, and yet he says, you are mine. There is therefore now no condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Come on, if you can't praise over that, then you cannot praise over anything. Because this is the gospel. This is the good news that when we hear it, we have to say hallelujah. When we hear it, we have to say amen. When we hear it, we have to say thank you, Jesus. Because without you, I know the wretch that I would be lost and wallowing in my sin and in my pity, in my guilt, in my shame, in my condemnation with nobody to pull me out. But yet that verse in the song says, he came into the miry clay and he pulled me out. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. In chapter 8, verse 3, it says, Sin has already been condemned. It doesn't need to be recondemned in us. It was condemned in the flesh through Jesus Christ. In verse 2, Paul says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And it is by his spirit that every single day we walk in greater freedom, that every single day when sin comes with its war, when sin comes with its army, when sin surrounds us, that is when we can say by the spirit of God, we know someone who is greater. We have someone who will fight for us, who will go before us, who is our great champion, who will slay you. This is not a war that I fight alone, but it is by the power of the spirit of God. Do you know that in Romans 8, the spirit is mentioned 18 times because it is only by the power of the Spirit that we can walk through Romans 7 and live in a redeemed life in Romans 8. So if you're wondering and you've been in that place, God, how do I win this war? How do I come to this place over and over and over again, not be depressed, not want to end it all, not give up? It is by the power of the Spirit of God that is at work in you. And it was killing the law of sin and death that has been at work in your mind and in your heart. And every day you are being sanctified by the Spirit that as you abide in Him, you will see sin slowly dying in your heart and in your mind. 
every single day. We can wake up and say, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? Thank you, God, for Jesus Christ, that by his spirit today I will walk in the spirit and I will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. That's what Paul says in Galatians chapter five, that I will not be drunk with new wine. I will not be drunk with this sin or that. I will not be drunk with my addictions, but instead I will be filled daily with the Holy Spirit. And the war will finally not be a losing war, but it will be a war that we win, a war that we become veterans in by the end of our life that we can say, like Paul said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I will. I am a veteran of this war. I have seen the tricks of the enemy. I've seen the tricks that sin has tried to play. I've seen what it has done in my mind. I've seen the way that it has tried to infiltrate my life and my thoughts and my heart. And guess what? By the Spirit's strength every single day, I was able to win that war. God would say, good job, a good and faithful servant. Remember, church, this is a war that is going on every day. And some of us, even though we've been Believing in Christ for years, we've never been trained in the art of war. We've never sat down with scripture. We've never allowed the spirit every day to walk with us, to open our eyes to the tricks of the enemy, to fight with wisdom. Don't forget that this is a war for our obedience that we wake up to every single day. It is going to be hard and you will not be perfect, but you will not be condemned either. Give yourself over to the Spirit. Your homework this week is to read Romans 8. To see how the life of the Spirit will help you win your war. So that by the end of your life, that you can be a veteran, that you can pass on wisdom to the newbies to the war, that they seem to be failing every day, that you can say, well, I've been there. I've done that. Let me show you how the Spirit has walked me through this. Be free today of condemnation and be equipped today to win the war of obedience over your heart. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for all that you give us and all that you do. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for sending your son that while we were still sinners, you died for us. Thank you for sending the helper, your Holy Spirit, that you didn't leave us alone when you ascended, but you sent your spirit to sanctify us and walk every single day through this life with us, that we can be filled with him and renewed every day, that we would fight the fight, that we would run the race, that we would not lay down and give up, but that we would know that through you, you bring freedom and that you bring freedom even right now. While we're praying, if there's a way that we can pray for you, we're going to put in the chat how you can respond and pray. We'll have a leader call with you. If you're struggling with something and you just need somebody to pray with, to confess to, we want to be there for you. We are a body. The church is not a Sunday gathering. It is a group of people. It is the ecclesia of God here on earth for his kingdom. We are here to walk through that with you together in deep community. 
So I, I, I implore you, do not go through what you're going through alone because I know what has been the hardest over the last four months during COVID and everything that has been happening has been walking through it, the feeling of walking through it alone. Do not do that anymore. Let us walk with you.